to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Second Corinthians chapter 3, as I said, we are not going to read the passage today because we have read it in the past and for sake of time, let me talk about, and we're going to read a, a pretty good portion of this passage as I move through. So instead of doing it twice, let me just begin by saying Paul is writing to the Corinthians uh, believers. He was started out the chapter saying, we don't need to commend ourselves. We don't need a letter. We don't need anything like that because what God has done through us in this church here in Corinth is is document enough. It's it's validation, and I, that that right there validates the ministry that we have. Look at your changed lives. That's what Paul was saying. Look at your changed lives there in the Corinthian church, and and then ask that question again: whether we need documents or letters of commendation that would say, hey, these guys are qualified to do what they're doing. No, we have a church in Corinth because God had worked through us to minister to you and you got saved and you started to grow. And as you began to grow and as you as you matured in the Lord and the church is up off the ground and, and it's, it's reaching out into the community, hey, there's been some speed bumps, haven't there? Along the way, there have been some speed bumps. There's been some difficulties along the way. There's been some times where Paul's had to rebuke him a bit and say, hey guys, this is not right. Don't boast in this because that's not a good thing. But he was proud of them. He was proud of them. He loved those guys. He loved that church. I understand that. I understand the love that a pastor has for his flock. And as he was sharing with them, uh, I, I have to this day never had anyone from this church ever asked me, can I see your certificate of ordination? I've never had anybody ask me that question. And, and so Paul's going, do I really need to have a certificate of ordination to tell you, what, to, to, to prove to you what God has already done? So here's the thing. Paul, he goes on, he says, listen, it's, God did this, but, but know this, it wasn't us that did it. It was the Holy Spirit, lest they misunderstand what Paul's saying. Because you know there are some people like that, aren't there? That will sit there and say, well, I did this and I did that. If it weren't for me, you would be you know, in a world of hurt. You would still be a heathen in the world if it weren't for me. Well, Paul could say that, but Paul is not saying that. Paul's saying, hey, God used us in your life. But make no mistake, it was not us that affected the change in your life. It was the Holy Spirit working through us and in your life. We are not sufficient in and of ourselves to do anything. And gang, if you hang on to that mindset for the rest of your Christian life, you're going to do well. You and I are insufficient to do anything. And, and if you really think about it, that actually is, is quite liberating. What do you mean? This is what I mean. The pressure builds on us, doesn't it, when we want to see someone saved. Maybe it's a loved one. 
It probably is a loved one. Somebody that you love very much. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a mom, a dad, a best friend, a coworker, Somebody like that where you just want to see them saved. They're not saved yet. And you think you need to do more. You think that you need to, you need to say it differently. You think that you need to affect the change in their life in order for them to get saved. You've got to do the work. The liberating part of what Paul is saying here in the first opening verses of chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians is this. You don't have to do anything except be obedient. You don't make any change. You're not sufficient to do that. You didn't die on a cross for them. You cannot make that change in their life. And to me, that when I first learned that, gang, I want you to know that. And I want you to really understand that. You can't make anyone change to become saved. You can't save anyone. You've heard some people say, well, Billy Graham saved me. Well, Billy Graham will be the first one that will say, no, Billy Graham didn't save you. It was the Holy Spirit. God, through the Holy Spirit, saved you by the blood of Jesus Christ that was proceeded from the mouth of Billy Graham. He was simply a vessel. It's almost like, uh, uh, you know, uh, a Van Gogh. We don't praise the brush, right? We, We praise the painting. We look at the painting and we say, oh, what a wonderful what? Artist. If, if you like his work, you know, I don't know. But if you like his work, you go, wow, what an awesome, awesome artist. I think it was a Van was it a Van Gogh that we were talking about the other day? The Starry Starry Night is that Van Gogh? Vincent Van Gogh? Yeah, I think so. Uh, we're, we were looking for some countertops the other day, and we we went and we saw this granite, you know, place. And this place had this beautiful, big, huge piece. It was like ten feet wide by you know seven feet tall piece of blue granite. It was called Blue Fusion. And I walked in and it almost took my breath away. It was just so beautiful with so many. It was almost like an artist color palette. Rossi, you would love to go to this place. I would love to take you because it was so beautiful. Rossi is an artist. Here's the thing. It reminded me of all the colors that are in the, the, the painting Starry Night from Van Gogh. And those of you who've ever seen a Van Gogh, that, that actual painting, um, I was talking to my wife and, and uh, in-laws about that the other day. I go, you know how much that thing is worth? They said, paintings don't make any sense to me, you know, or, or to me either, you know. How much is that painting worth? I mean, what do you think that painting would be worth? Van Gogh's Starry Night. Yeah, what? One of them, I think, said, two million. Another one said, no, uh, 15 million or something like that. Things valued at over $100 million. And you go, what? What? I mean, there's some artwork that you go, I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, that one is one of them. That's one of them. But that that painting has always, I, I don't know why that painting has always cropped up in my life. I've seen that painting many, many times. And I, I don't know why it means, you know, anything to me, but it the colors in it are, are beautiful. Well, I saw this huge piece of granite. And, and it was all of these different colors of blue and yellows and, 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 and different shades of all different things. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, this is absolutely gorgeous. 
you'd almost like to take it home and frame it hanging on your wall, except the thing weighs about 10,000 pounds, you know. But we don't praise. We don't praise the brush. We praise the artist. And the, the point is, gang, is that we don't, when we see something beautiful, when we see the beauty of a life changed, we don't look at the person who led them to the Lord. We look at the Lord who changed the person. Right? That makes sense? We don't do that. We don't make the change. And so what that did to me is it liberated me when I learned that I don't have to change you. I don't have to make you change your mind. You know what happens to me when I feel like I need to change someone's mind? We were just talking about this, the men's study this last week. I think it was this last week. And that is, I start to get angry because you don't see it my way, right? Don't you see it? This is just nonsense. How can you possibly not see what it is that I'm saying? And, and sometimes as Christians, we get angry. And sometimes we will, because they're not seeing it our way, we'll lash out. That'll really get them. You know, I mean, hey, yeah, they're going to change. When you get into a heated argument with somebody about the love of Christ, <laughs> if you think they're going to all of a sudden go, oh, I see it's your way now. L- the love of Christ is awesome. You know, they're not going to see that because they're not seeing it in you. And so the liberating part is I don't have to make a change in anybody. I just have to be obedient. I have to live the life that Christ has called me to live. And when I do and when I share the faith, when I share Christ, when I share the gospel, the gospel literally meaning good news, when I share that, I don't have to do any change. And it takes a huge weight off of my shoulder. And I no longer have to get angry. I don't have to get angry with anybody if they don't see it my way. Because I can't go in and speak to their heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Nobody changes a heart. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. And so here's the thing. Paul's saying we aren't sufficient. But then he moves on into something that I want to talk about here today, and that is, but I want you to not hide either. I I don't want you to be shy about your walk either. I don't want you to to hide your faith, man. I don't don't want you to step back and, and hide and just expect God to do the work without your mouth, without your without your actions, without your you reaching out and touching people. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, we know this, don't we? That Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, I, I can't send you the helper, the, 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 the parakletos, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the helper. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send him to you. He's with you, but... Right now, but he will be in you. And then as you move into John chapter 16, he talks about, you know, Jesus talks about how, uh, you know, the, the role of the Holy Spirit. He's going to guide you. He's going to speak to you. He's going to direct you in what you say and, 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 and so on. And, and so here's the thing. 
He's the one that's going to do the change in you. But you have got to will, willfully submit yourself to the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can work through you. Why did Jesus say it's to your advantage that I go away? Because Jesus is in one person. Jesus is one person. He's one individual walking through the earth. He says, but the Holy Spirit is residing in me. The Holy Spirit is residing in Jesus. And the work that he's doing upon the face of the earth. I remember it was A.W. Tozier that said something a long time ago in a book called uh, The Pursuit of God. If you've never read that book, you need to read that book. It, we have one, I believe, over here on the shelves over here. Read it, The Pursuit of God. If only to read the prayers. I think it's at the end of the chapters. I mean, that's worth the, 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 the time and effort to read that book. It's just to read his prayers. Read the prayers. It's, it's almost like you, you're, you're, uh, you're encroaching on someone's personal devotion time. It's kind of like you snuck in his room and he doesn't know you're there. That's kind of creepy, but I mean, that's, that's kind of what it is. And man, I'll tell you, it's a blessing to read those prayers. It might actually be at the beginning of the chapter where he prays. The prayers are awesome. But one of the things that he said in his book that when I read it for the t first time back in probably 1992 was this. He said, I believe that Jesus, if, and I'm, I'm going to rephrase this, maybe not in the way that exactly the way that he said it, but he said this. I believe that Jesus, when he came here to the earth, that he limited himself to the same amount of the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to every single individual who has ever lived as a believer after that. The same Holy Spirit that was working in Jesus is now, if you're a Christian in this room, resides in you. Same power, same abilities. And that was convicting to me. That was challenging to me. Because if you're anything like me, there are many, many times during the day, if you allow yourself to consider it, where the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something and you don't do it. I'm guilty at that, man. Way, way, way more often than I wish I than than I would wish to admit to you today. But you know it's not just me, it's you too. For if we were willing to completely and totally submit to the Holy Spirit, the way that Jesus submitted to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit submitted to him. Here's the thing. We would turn this world upside down. We'd turn this world upside down. And for that, that's convicting to me. But it's also a challenge to me. To not let this day go by like yesterday went by. I want today to be a brand new... It's the awesome thing about what the Word of God says. God's mercies are new every morning. Is that awesome? Don't dwell on the past. Don't, don't beat yourself up over what happened yesterday. Don't beat yourself up over what happened earlier today. 
Maybe you got into a little scuffle before you came here to church today. Maybe with a wife or a husband or a child or something like that. And, you know, here's the thing. Get yourself ready because we're going to go to church. You know, and now you're here and then you sing praise songs. and You got a smile on your face and you're going, oh, what a liar I am. Oh, what a liar I am. Here's the thing. Have one of those and then come up and have to teach and lead you in worship. That happens. Didn't happen today. Praise the Lord. But it happens. We're not sufficient of ourselves, but if we will, or if we willfully submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, here's the thing: God can do wonders through us, just willfully opening up ourselves and ministering the way that He would have us. Now, here's the thing: here's what Paul's saying. Now, I don't want to lose you here because we got we've got just a few more minutes. Here's the thing: Paul is making a difference, a contrast of the power, if you will, the the ability of the Old Testament covenant, the old law. And he's making a distinction about the benefit that we have in the day and the age in which they were living here in Corinth, but also the day and age in which we're living. And as we talked about it last week, we went back, or two weeks ago, we talked about the Old Covenant. We talked about Moses, you know, and going up onto the Mount Sinai and, and, and hanging out with the Lord and spending a long time there. And then the mixed multitude, you remember, they start, you know, coming into Aaron, backboneless Aaron, which we can hammer down on him if we're willing to hammer down on ourselves because, man, I'll tell you, Don's a backboneless person at times too. But it's it's easy to beat up on Aaron because his name's written in here and we can do that. He'll get me one day. And here's the thing. He'll say, oh, you did it a whole lot more than I did. And I'm going to have to go, yep, you're right. You're right. He just did it on a magnificent scale, huge scale. And I'll hold that over him. Not really, but here's the thing. Aaron, he bows to the pressure. He bows to the pressure of the mixed multitude coming in and saying, hey, we want a God that we can serve. We want a God that we can see. We want a God that we can touch. We want a God that we can go, hey, 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 nations around us, look at our God. Our God's gold. It's a, it's a cow. I don't understand that. I mean, make it a lion. Make it something. But don't make it a cow. A cow. How intimidating is a cow to you? I, I grew up I, in in ninth grade. I was I played football, and our team was 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 called the 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 Moore Monarchs. Do you know what a monarch is? It's a butterfly. <laughs> Who are we? Butterflies. <laughs> I mean, that struck the fear into every team that we played. And, and you know, <laughs> cows can can wreak havoc on you. I, 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 my wife and I, we stayed, we stayed at the Bomars. Some of you guys know who the Bomars are. They have like a five-acre parcel out east of 75, 15, 20 years ago. Stayed at their house while they were gone up into North Carolina for the summer. And and I, we stayed. We had this whole sprawled out, you know, whole all this ground, and there was. They had three cows out in the back half of the pasture before they had put up their, their building that's out there right now. They had three cows out there. And I thought, man, I'm a rancher. 
I'm, I'm going to be a rancher. One morning, it's probably 9 o'clock in the morning, I go out there and I'm going, I'm going to just walk out. I'm going to go through the gate, shut the gate behind me. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a cowboy. Now, mind you, I've never been a cowboy. And as I walked out there, I'm walking out there. I'm about, the distance is about halfway to them. I'm, I'm about halfway from the fence to them. Okay? And I'm walking out there and I'm just, I'm thinking, man, to be a cowboy would have been awesome. I, I mean, I'm going through this. I'm just kind of looking. I want to go and walk the fence line because I want to make sure there's no breaks in the fence, you know? Because that's, that's what a cowboy does, right? I'm going to go out there and do that. And these cows are all sitting out there and they're watching me. And I'm just, I'm think, I don't think, I mean, cows are cows. And, and then the cows, one of them said, that guy's not a cowboy. Let's prove it. And they all started at, at one time, started running right at me. One of them had horns. He's running at me, and I'm going, does he have a bull out here? And I took off, and I started running. I started running, and I'm running as fast as I can back to the fence. Now, it's like 50, 80 yards away from me. And I'm like, I'm running as fast as I can. Now, cows are fast. Turn than me. And, and I'm running, and I turn around, and I'm going, and my mathematical mind is sitting here going, the distance that I just covered will not make that fence by the time they get to me. They have covered a lot more distance than I've covered. And I'm going and I'm looking back. I screamed. Now, there were, there, there's probably neighbors that were watching this, having their coffee, and, and I, I, I'm screaming. I'm screaming and I'm going, I don't know what to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get gored to death. I am running with the bulls of Bomarphilia, you know, Pemph... Pamplonia, whatever. And I, I'm running, and I just thought, I've got to do something. I am going to die, but I am going to die with dignity. And I stopped, and I turned around, and I went, and I started running at them, and I started going, ah! And I started running at them. And I thought, well, I, one of us is going to stop, me. But I'm going, and they get about 10 feet from me, and they just kind of stop and they kind of stop and they just kind of look at me. My heart's going, you know. Cows can be terrifying. I talked to Kurt about that later on. He goes, oh, they thought you had food. They weren't going to hurt you. They just thought you had food. I, yeah, that was, uh, that was a scary thing. I wasn't a cowboy that day. But cows... To make a, a god out of a cow? They wanted to make a god. And, and so Moses is up there on the mountain with God, and, and God says, you better get back down. They're making a cow. That's so disappointing because I'm God. They make me as a cow? They, they, want, to, they want to replace me with a gold cow? I can't believe that. And so Moses goes back down. You know, he breaks the... the, the uh, uh, two tablets of stone that held the Ten Commandments on it. Judgment came out. We talked about that last week, last time we were together. Remember, on the day that the law was given, 3,000 souls were taken. 3,000 souls died that day. What was cool is that 
the day that the Spirit was given, the day that the, that the Holy Spirit came upon the church, 3,000 souls were added to the church. I don't think that that's a mistake. That the day that the law was given, 3,000 souls were taken. And that the day that the law had led us to Christ and the Spirit was then given, a new covenant had been established. 3,000 souls were added. Let's look at what it says here. He says in, uh, in just that stay in context, verse 4, and we have such trust of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. We've already talked about that. Who also makes us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. And so now here's what Paul is saying. He's going, guys, we aren't stuck in the old. We're going to move toward into the new. He says, he's also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter. The letter means the Ten Commandments, the written law. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. And that is the Holy Spirit. For the letter kills. The law will kill you. But the Spirit gives life. Again, I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think it's a coincidence. I'm not a mistake. I don't think it's a coincidence that 3,000 souls were lost the day that the law was given and 3,000 souls were saved the day that the, law was, that, the, that, that the Spirit was given. The letter, the law, brings death. The Spirit brings life. And then he goes on and he, he then lays the foundation of his argument here to say, gang, let's not be like the Old Testament. Let's not, let's not go back to the old days. Let's go and progress into the new, in the new covenant. Let's go and, and, and live in the benefits that we have in the Holy Spirit. He says, but if the ministry of death, that is the law, the Ten Commandments, written and engraved on stones, there to, to even emphasize that, if it was glorious, which it was, the law was glorious, think about that. This is God's written word to mankind. That's glorious. Moses, you spent time with the Lord and this is what he gave you? This is his ten, ten laws that he gave you? Yes. Here it is. That's glorious. Oh, but you can't do them. You're going to try to live by them, but you're going to fail. Why would God ever give a law? I, 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 if, you, if you really look at the context of from Genesis to Revelation, you can look at this and, and kind of very take a very broad stroke. The very broad stroke is, here God created Adam. He gave Adam a, an instruction. He gave him the benefit of knowing what to do, what not to do. Just through the word, just through verbal exchange. He brings along Eve. Next thing you know, they're sitting, standing right next to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they partake of that tree and they commit sin. They fail. Well, from that point on, until the law was given... There's not one person that ever lived upon the face of the earth to that point that followed God under their own volition. What does that mean? 
That means that nobody just sat there and said, I will do all and everything that the Lord would have me to do in order to be righteous before his eyes. There was sin. Sin entered into the world. And so man might go, well, you know, here's the thing. Lord, that's not fair that you're going to judge us if we don't really even know what it is that you want us to do. Oh, we have, we have, you know, a tradition of things that you said to Moses or things that you said to Adam or things that you said to Abraham. Not Moses, but Abraham and, and Adam and all of the others. We have tradition, but we don't have it written down. I mean, if you just gave us a law, if you gave us something to live by where we can go, okay, check, 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 ten times, check. I did those things. I'm good. If I had ten things, if I could just see what it is that you expected out of me to live in order to live righteously, then I could do it. And God goes, okay, I'll give you those ten things. I'll give you the, I'll give you the law. So he gives the law. What the law did is that it showed us we can't live by that. We can't. And so from, from Adam until Moses, there was no law. It was verbal. It was tradition. It was man coming to God under his own volition. And so God, he establishes a law through Moses and says, okay, you want to follow me? Here it is. Here's the Ten Commandments. And, and the hundreds added to it afterwards. But here's the thing. Can you live by this? Man goes, nope, can't do that either. The law was there to drive us to Christ. The law was there to show us that we are hopeless. We cannot live righteously enough in order to appease the righteous standards of God. We can't do it. The law, Galatians chapter 3 will tell us, is our tutor that will bring us to Christ. But when we come to Christ, we're no longer under a tutor. And so Paul's saying, or I, I, well, Paul's saying, guys, the law, you couldn't do it. You couldn't live righteously. They didn't live righteously from Adam until Moses. They couldn't do it. They failed. God gave them a law. They still failed. failed. And so if we aren't going to do it based upon our own volition, because we just desire to seek out after God, if we can't do that, and then we can't do it because you have a written down law that we can follow, but we don't follow it. Well, then there's no hope for us. Exactly. That's exactly where God wanted to bring you and I to a place of hopelessness because we can't do it in and of ourselves. We're insufficient. It's the reason that God had to become a man. And he had to take your sin and my sin upon his shoulders. And he paid the penalty for our sin on the cross. And then he freely offers forgiveness of everything that you've ever done, everything that you've ever committed, every sin, every thought that was improper. He washes it clean. For if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become brand new. David cried out when he when he was uh, caught in the act of adultery with, with Bathsheba. Oh, it was a year down the road when he was busted by his prophet Nathan. Well, God busted him, knew it all along. 
David was just trying to pretend that his sin wasn't there. We do that, don't we? If you think that you can get by with your sin and, and God is, 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 is not calling you on your sin, David did it for a year. He's a king. He thought that he was getting by with his sin. If you are living in sin and you, and you're not, you don't have a lightning bolt that's hit you yet and you're gaining more confidence by the day, in living in that sin because God's not punishing you? Please hear me now. Write this down. Memorize it. And never forget what I'm about to say. Never mistake God's silence for God's approval. Here's the thing. God was silent with David for a year. And then he called him on the carpet. And David said, Oh, against you, Lord, and you only have I sinned and done this wickedness in your sight. Then, Lord, I want you to... I want, I want you to create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. That word create, we were talking about this on the men's study on Tuesday night. That word create, it's the same word in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the Hebrew, that word is bara. Bara. The bara means that God, that created, that, that word creation, that created, that create, it literally means out of non-existing materials. And so when you hear David say, create within me, God, a brand new heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. There's another word for create that you can use existing materials. Take and change and formulate and fashion and what have you. You can do that and, and make it new. David didn't say, hey, take what I have in me and change it and, and refresh it and make it new. Ta David said, rip this wickedness out of me and create a brand new heart within me. And then renew a steadfast spirit within me. And so David, and you and I, as we look, we look at the law. The law is going to kill us. The spirit will bring life. The spirit will bring life. If the ministry and... If the ministry, verse 7, I'm going to read through this real quick. If the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. You remember when Moses came down, his face was glowing? But that glory, that glowing was passing away. They couldn't look on Moses' face because of the glory of the countenance, which the glory, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be even more glorious? So the law was glorious, but the Spirit is much more glorious. I don't have to follow, you know, a, a law. I got to follow Christ. That doesn't give me permission and, and, you know, carte blanche to commit sin. It gives me the freedom to be forgiven of sin. It gives me the freedom to not have to go and commit sin. And, and so he goes on, he says, verse 9, For if the ministry of condemnation, that's the law, that's the, that's the, the Ten Commandments. If the ministry of condemnation had glory, then the ministry of the Holy Spirit coming into the heart of a believer through the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glorious in this had no glory in this respect because of that of the glory that excels. He's saying, for even what was made glorious had no glory. The law was glorious, but it really didn't have any glory to it. If you really consider it, 
It brought death. There's no glory in death. Not in that aspect. Because the glory, uh, because of the glory that excels, the glory of the new covenant, the glory of, of, of forgiveness in Christ, and the Holy Spirit coming inside of a heart, the heart of a new believer, that's glorious. That excels what the Old Testament did. For if what was passing away, the law, was glorious, what remains, the Holy Spirit, abiding in the hearts of mankind because of the blood and resurrection, blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, it remains much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. And so here's what Paul says. The glory of the Old Testament was there, but he actually had to cover Moses' face up because of the glory, because it was going to fade away. You'd go, wow, oh, it's so neat to know what God wants. That's glorious. I finally know what God wants. And you, you're happy and you skip to Delu, my darling, for a couple of days. And then you realize, wow, this is tough. And the glory passes away and you go, I can't do it. Can you imagine living in the Old Testament times? How frustrating and how depressing it would be. Because you can't live perfect. You can't live righteously. You could try all you want, but your sin still confines you. But when the, when the Holy Spirit comes, here's what Paul's saying. We're not under the law anymore, gang. We're under Christ, man. And it's because of that that we, we don't just have hope. We are, we are jumping with joy because we have acceptance in Christ. We have acceptance in God through Christ. The Holy Spirit is abiding in us. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. It's, here's Paul. If you think I'm a little passionate right now, Paul would be far more. If you only knew the old, and these guys understood the old, you don't have to live under that anymore. The Holy Spirit has been given through Jesus Christ, His death, resurrection. He is going to come and live in you and show you the way. His gift of eternal life is forgiveness of sins. He bled for you. He died for you. He took your place. You don't have to go and do anything other than accept His free gift. Now live in Him. And it's because of this, what we know... We have great boldness of speech. We want to tell everyone is what Paul's saying. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at, at the end of what was passing away. Here's what he's saying. Moses had to cover his head with a pillowcase because the glory that was there, it was shining. And the thing is, is that that shine was going to go away. Eventually it would go away. And here's what happens to the children of Israel. They're in awe. Wow, look at Moses' face. It's glowing. Wow. Oh, man, holiness. This is awesome. <clears throat> this is, wow, Moses, this is great. Man, look at what God has done in your life. Whoa. But when it fades away, they go, huh? Eh, I guess, eh. You're just Moses again. You're not anything special. And what Paul's saying is, that glory never fades away in Christ or it shouldn't fade away in Christ. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds, this is back in the Old Testament, their minds were hardened 
For even until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. They're still trying to find glory in the Old Testament. They're still trying to find glory in the law. The law brings death. James says, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of them all. He's guilty. You're going to live by the law. You'll die by the law. He says, and this is what's tripping them up because they're thinking that it's the old te- the, the law that's going to bring them righteousness. But no, the veil, Moses' veil, the glory is, is, is revealed because it's taken away from Moses' face in Christ. Verse 15, but even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. I can't expound on that any further than what Paul just said. When someone turns to Christ, the veil's taken away. There's a new glory. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So here's, here's, here's Paul. He says, he says, When we look in a mirror, what do we see? I, I, I got a couple of mirrors here. Walmart specials. Uh, what, this side, you can see it, right? If I turn it around, what, what happens? Kind of magnifies, right? Huh? Oh, is it upside? You guys are all upside down? I said you guys are an upside down church. I'm just joking. Here's the thing. Listen. Here's the thing. You've got you've got a mirror that reflects who you are, right? A lot of us we look in a mirror. And and we we all probably looked in a mirror today before we came. Probably. Probably all of us. Your hair is combed because of a mirror. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I don't want to, you know, outlaw mirrors or anything like that. But when you look in a mirror, like I'm looking in this mirror right now, I'm looking the actual size of my face. Wow. <laughs> here's the thing. You look in here, and, and it reflects who you are. But here's the thing. If you look too much into a mirror, you look too much at yourself, you're going to get depressed, man. Corey Tenboom used to say this. You guys know this, don't you? Look to yourself and be depressed. Look to the world and be distressed. Or look at my Jesus and be at rest. When you look at yourself, and especially in the days of social media, every, isn't it everybody on Facebook? Don't they all have a better life than you do? It seems like everybody on Facebook is just, their life is going hunky-dory, it's awesome. Everything is wonderful. But I really, if, if that's you and you think that that is what's going on, know this. If you're close to anybody and you know that, or if you're a pastor, I know that what I see sometimes on social media about what it looks and, and, and the portrayal of, of this person or that family, everything is just wonderful. And you look at their life and you go, wow, everything is awesome. 
man, I wish I had that life. And yet you go, wait a minute. I just left that person like four hours ago and they were just pouring out their heart because nothing was going right in their life. They were just destroyed. They were, they were they're contemplating suicide. And, and here they are four hours later saying, hey, look at all oh, my life is this. I've got that. I've got this. I'm going over here. I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to... And, and you go, what happened? Know this. Nobody's life is like that. Nobody has it all, you know, it's not all that. Social media is a lie in many, many, many instances. But as you look in a mirror, you see a natural reflection of yourself. This is who you are. You spend too much time in that mirror, you're going to get depressed. You really want to speed up being depressed? Turn the mirror around and magnify yourself even all the more. Because now life is more about you. Life is about you. Life is about you. And man, if life isn't about me and if I'm not happy, then I'm going to make other people's lives miserable. Or I'm just going to like make my life miserable. I, I just, if, it's not, if everything isn't working out good for me, then nothing's right in the world. Paul says, listen, when I, with unfailed face, we need to behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Do you understand, gang? You were bought with a price. You no longer own you if you became a Christian. If you're a true Christian, if you're a believer in Christ, you don't even own you anymore. It's not about you. I see other pastors do this all the time. Turn to somebody and say, it's not about me. It's not about me. Can you do it? Wow, that's weird. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. Because the more that it's about me, it's not about the Lord. And so, the simplest thing to say is, what we need to do is we need to look in the mirror and we need to see Jesus. Right? We just need to see Jesus. I, I painted some stuff on the mirror here to where you can't even, you can kind of see a reflection in there of you, but you see Jesus. Because I wasn't going to put a picture of Jesus on there because I didn't know, I couldn't go with the surfer guy or, no, I, I didn't want to do that. I just put the name of Jesus there, okay? And I fogged up the mirror because you know what? If I'm looking at Jesus, I, I'm, I'm in the background, man. It's not about me. It's not about you. But man, when I was preparing this study, God kind of nailed me. <laughs> because that's good. I can just say, hey, let's pray. We're done. But God didn't let me get away with that this week. This is, this is what I wrote to myself this week. A two-sided mirror. One's a true mirror. One's a true mirror. On the other side, it's a picture of Jesus. When I look into the mirror, when I live my life in silence, and fear because I'm afraid of opening my mouth about Jesus. Because I feel like I don't know enough. Because I feel that I'm not able to say it right. Or, or, or that I'm simply insufficient to represent and speak about Jesus. So that kind of reveals which side of the mirror I'm looking into, isn't it? 
side of the mirror are you looking into? If that's your character, if that's your attitude, if that's my character and my attitude, which side of the mirror am I looking into? It seems simple. I'm looking into this side of the mirror. I'm looking into this side of the mirror and I'm saying, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. That's because I'm trying to do it in and of myself. I can't do it in and of myself. I've missed what Paul said. I'm insufficient. Do I believe that? Do you believe that? It's not me. I can't affect the change in anybody's life. And so when I say, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, well, of course you can't do it. You are insufficient. I am insufficient. And so the obvious thing would be is to turn the mirror around and see not your face, but see Jesus, right? And so I see Jesus in there. And what I'm showing is a picture of a mirror and and a foggy, the other side of the mirror is a foggy mirror with the name Jesus on it. I had to do that for whoever's listening that isn't seeing what we're doing. and, And it seems like, hey, it should be over. Looking at Jesus, everything is good, right? But this is, this is what the Lord was sharing with me here this week and convicting me on. I have my, this may just be for me or one other person out there. I don't know. might be for all of you. I don't know. This is what he said to me. This is what he was impressing upon my heart. If I'm looking into the mirror and see myself, I'm correctly determined in my heart and my mind that I am insufficient. However... If I'm looking into the opposite side of the mirror where I only see Jesus and yet I am still fearful. I am still unwilling because of whatever it is, fear of being bold, of being the man that God has called me to be. If I'm looking to Jesus and I'm still in that capacity of of paralysis of moving forward and doing what it is that God's called me to do. I'm looking at you, Jesus, but I still can't do it. I just can't do it. Here's what the Lord revealed to me. If I'm still fearful when I'm even looking at, the, at Jesus, what I'm saying, what I'm really saying, and I want you to hear my heart here, what I'm really saying is that the Holy Spirit who dwells within me is also insufficient to empower me or enable me to speak out on behalf of Jesus. I I wrote this. Did you hear what I just said? I had to write that to myself. Don, did you hear what you just wrote? I said, if I'm living for Jesus and I'm looking into his side of the mirror and yet I am still fearful and unwilling, then I am saying that the Holy Spirit is powerless to work in and through my life, that the world is too strong and powerful for the Holy Spirit to engage, that Satan and his demons are too strong and cunning and powerful for the Holy Spirit to take on and defeat. And I wrote, ouch, is this true? Do I believe this? Is this even possible? Well, it's possible that I allow that to, to dictate who I am. It's possible for you to allow that to dictate who you are. Gang, listen. I, you, we need to learn how to just let God move 
in us. We've got to just allow him to work in us. And when we feel fear, you go, you know what? It's the same Holy Spirit that gave Christ the boldness to stay on the cross. It's the same boldness that caused Peter and John to stand before the same men who just put Jesus to death. And they're sitting here saying, hey, you guys are out there preaching in Jesus' name and you healed this guy. And, and by what authority are you guys doing this? And, and, and Peter and John said, listen, uh, it, we didn't do it. But it was the Spirit, it was through the name of Jesus Christ, whom you guys crucified, by the way, just a few weeks ago, by which this man is standing here whole before you. These are the religious rulers that they're standing before that can actually take their life the way that they took Jesus' life. There's a boldness that came out of Peter and John at that time. And they boldly spoke out. They boldly shared what was going on. It's this, it's this work of the Holy Spirit working in us. The religious rulers, they went to the back and they said, hey, you should hang out here. and We're going to go and talk about this. And they went and talked about it and said, well, we can't sit here and, and dispute what happened because obviously this guy was a cripple and now we stand in here walking with this. And everybody knows that he was who he was, but now here he is whole. And so we can't really refute what happened. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back out there and we're going to tell him this. Just shut up. Don't talk about Jesus anymore. So they went back out to John, didn't they? Peter and John. And they said, listen, we're going to let you go. Okay? You don't talk about this Jesus no more. All right? And Peter, emboldened once again, in front of these men that have his life in his hands, he says, whether it's right before God or you on whether or not we should open our mouth about Jesus, you guys, you guys judge it. We can't help but speak about Jesus. And that was a, a, an affront to them. That was a challenge to them. But because they feared the people, let that be a lesson to you. When you fear the people, you're living for the world. You're not living for the Lord. When I fear the people, when I fear what people will say, I fear more the world than I fear the Lord. And that is convicting to me, gang. And I hope it's convicting to you. Not simply to beat you down. It's not to beat you down. That's to challenge you to rise above your fear because the same Holy Spirit that resided in Jesus resides in you today and resides in me, resides in us. Here's the thing. We can live for Christ without fear. Oh, we might be a little afraid at times. I'm sure Peter and John knew, oh, well, this is, here we go. Whether it's right in your eyes or God's eyes, I don't know, but we are not going to shut up. And you ain't going to make us. And I'm sure that there was a sigh of relief when Peter and John heard the words, well, all right then. We're really going to do it if you keep talking about it. Now get out of here. Don't talk about Jesus no more. And they walked away unscathed. They didn't get beat. They didn't get killed. They didn't get crucified. They go back. Listen, if you read the rest of the chapter there, you go, they go back to the people who were praying. And they shared and they testified all that the things that the Lord had allowed them to do. And it says, when they were praying, the place where they were was shaken. Now that's, 
the Holy Spirit in action in a body of believers that is willing to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work in their life. The place where they were assembled was shaken. Have you ever been in a place where maybe it's in a time of worship, maybe it's in a time of prayer, where you just know, I mean, there's just something has happened there, man, and that time of worship is just, there's something, I mean, there is something going on, man, where the Holy Spirit is just so prevalent in that place. I'm sure that that's what was going on here. And they lived their lives, even to the death. They died. They ended up dying. I'm sure that there was still fear. Peter had more fear. We know that. You know, there's more fear in Peter's life. He still fails. Doesn't mean that you and I aren't going to fail still, still. But here's the thing. Gang, we're not under the old where we have to put a, a, a pillowcase over our face anymore. Let's take the pillowcase off, man, because we have Christ living in us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Let's boldly go out and proclaim who Jesus Christ is. And when fear starts to creep up, go, time for the Holy Spirit to kick in here, man. Swallow big and open your mouth. Nehemiah, what do you want to do? Said King Haasuerus. Kind of, that's kind of his name. What do you want? I lifted up a quick prayer and I said, he prayed real quick. He swallowed, he didn't swallow, but he lifts up a quick prayer and he proclaimed to the king what it is. Oh, the city of my fathers, my ancestry, it lies in ruins. My heart is broken. What do you want me to do about it? The king said, well, if you could send me back there to build that city back up, the walls and the temple grounds and foundation and the walls of the temple and just get the city back up again. What do you need? Uh, I need some wood. I need some tools. I need some building materials. All right, the king said. Not only will I supply those, but I'll also supply a garrison of soldiers to take you back there to where you're going to be safe to get back there. Now, if Nehemiah wouldn't have swallowed big and opened his mouth, he never would have realized that. Gang, you and I, if we swallow big and trust the Lord, you're going to have Nehemiah moments in your life. I'm going to have Nehemiah moments in my life. We're going to have Nehemiah moments in our church. Let's let the Holy Spirit do his job. Let's not go, hey, I'm living, I'm living for Jesus, but I'm still living in fear. That's to bring the Holy Spirit down to my level. That's not true. We've got to fight that. That's not true. That's a lie from the pit of hell. That's exactly what Satan wants you to believe. Let's not do that. I've said it quite a few times this year already. This can be our finest hour. Let's, let's live the last days that we have, the remaining days that we have, fully submitted and committed to Jesus and watch what God does in us. Try it today. We'll all, every single one of us, will be impressed by the Holy Spirit to do something out of our comfort zone today. Today, trust Him with it. Amen? Does that make sense? 
Father, thank you so much for today. And I pray, Lord, that we leave out of here encouraged, that we leave out of here emboldened and impassioned to follow after you. God, help us not to just look at you, but help us to live in you. Help us to love you and love your ways. Help us, Lord, to live in your ways. Help us, Lord, to, to, to fight our old flesh that seems to battle against our spirits. And sometimes those battles are fierce. God, help, help the spirit to win. God, we want to live in you. Destroy our fear. God, what are you going to do in our lives this day? I pray that one hearer, I pray, obviously, God, I pray that everyone has heard this message. But if just one person in this room has taken this message to heart and actually goes out and does, what effectual change you will do through that one life. I pray that you do it in all of us. It's not about us anymore, Lord. It's about you. Live in us, through us, and by us to do your work for you, for your purpose, for your plans, for your reasons, and help us, Lord, to not get sidetracked because things aren't going the way that we in our flesh, in this world, feel that they should go. But let us simply live our life submitted 100% to you. And when we desperately rat, reach out and grab a hold of our life and, and, and grab it and, and, and secure it once again for ourselves, then Lord, help us to release our grip quickly. Because we're going to do it. Lord, I know me. I've given you the steering wheel in my life so many times. Numbers is the sand on the seashore. But Lord, you always take the driver's seat back when I give it to you. And you have never stopped loving me. You have never stopped loving us. You are a gracious, loving, patient Father. We thank you. What an awesome God we serve. And now, as we leave this place today, may we make you proud in how we conduct our lives this day for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.